Welcome to the One Haas Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today, we have Jenny Wu, Berkeley Haas MBA and founder and CEO at Mind, Brain, Emotion. Along with being a Haas MBA, Jenny is a Harvard-trained educator, EQ researcher, and a founder, working to create cleverly simple, immensely practical, and immediately actionable tools to help people become happier, calmer, and wiser. Jenny, welcome, and great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. You did your undergrad in business at USC, and then you came to Haas for the MBA program. And then if that wasn't enough school, you you decided to go to Harvard to get a master's in ed, in the ed school, education school. And then you also, um, I think you just shared, you recently finished your PhD at UC Irvine focusing on human development. So beyond just your professional career, your academic career alone has been a ton and a seemingly amazing journey. You know, if I had to kick it off with a question, you know, did you know when you were a kid that this would be your journey? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is a lot of degrees. And I would say absolutely not. In fact, I am the first one in my both sides of my family to graduate with a college degree. And so I often joke around (laughs) whenever I do a talk, I say that I, I tend to my tendency to earn a lot of degrees so that each one of my parents and maybe grandparents could have a degree, <laughs> right, for their lack of privilege and resources, but they were fully capable. Going back, I was born in China, and I lived in China till I was about 10. And I actually lived in a tier two city in China for about five years between the age of five and 10 without ever seeing my parents. Oh, wow. That was when they came over to the United States. So you can imagine, we didn't even have phones in our house or apartment, let alone, you know, these days you have the Zoom and the FaceTime, right? And so then coming to the U.S. at the age of 10 was really a double culture shock for me, right? On one end, I came in not knowing the English alphabet sort of integrating into this new Western society. And on the other hand, not seeing my parents for almost five years and sort of having a vague notion of these are my parents. This is how they are. This is their temperaments and tendencies, right? But discovering that this is who they are. So that was quite an interesting experience, I would say. And I came over to Houston, Texas, Oh, wow. Yeah. So started public school fourth grade and basically all throughout um, 12th grade. Grew up in Texas. And really, as you mentioned, what brought me out to California was to go to undergraduate and to do USC. And that was, I, I would have to say that in itself was also another culture shock for me. Tons of questions. But, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but an immediate question I think of, what is it like going from China to Houston? And Houston today is a bigger city, you know, a lot of things are happening there. A lot the music scene's kind of big and entertainment, a lot of things like the Super Bowl or or big, you know, other events, big events happen in Houston. What was it like when you were a kid? And then can you translate that to going from Houston to Southern California, Los Angeles and arriving at USC for college? What was that like making those two transitions and and what did it feel like for you experiencing it, those changes? Yeah, great questions. I would have to say, I mean, as a 10-year-old, not quite knowing what to look for and you don't know what you don't know, I probably missed a lot of sort of things, right? But obviously, the language, the food, the culture, and my parents being immigrants as well, I don't think we were involved in a lot of cultural, you know, the Super Bowl, what was that, right, (laughs) type of activities. But I do vividly remember 
being in my ESL class, English as Second Language. And I was really the only Mandarin-speaking student there. A lot of Latinx peers around me. And that was in itself sort of something different, right? And of course, getting a feel for the curriculum differences. I remember not knowing my alphabets, but I knew how to count, right, from one to 10. And the teacher um, during the first week when I was there, she had, you know, this simple addition. And I was like, I'm going to raise my hand and say the only 10 words that I knew when I answered the questions. (laughs) So I was very optimistic. So I think that really helped. And, you know, to answer your second part of the question of sort of going from somewhat of a conform community and where I grew up in Houston and then later Sugarland, and to going into Los Angeles and just, I think right off the bat, seeing the type of cars that my peers were driving were just mind blowing, right? <laughs> and my parents had very humble upbringings and I chose to go to USC because, you know, it was so funny. It was Time Magazine College of the Year oh. and they had a great volunteering program in education, the joint education program. And it was, you know, it sort of fit in all the boxes. And to be honest, I was dating someone in LA as well. Uh, So that kind of made my decision a bit clear as well. So going in, I think just the type of clothes that these kids were wearing, the type of backgrounds took some adjustment. And I decided to major in business I was very interested in it, but to be honest, I was also interested in the medical field. Took the AP Bio 2, went into a local hospital, saw like these surgeries, does not feel faint, love it, you know, captivated by it. But again, you know, I think it's also because my parents, to be honest, they just didn't have anyone within their network right, and their community and their friendship who were doctors. And so being the very practical parents they are, they wanted me to go into a field that was doable, realistic, practical. You can make a good living. And so that's part of the reason why I went in. So I did business with an emphasis in information systems. You went to a really large global company, you know, Deloitte as a kind of post college experience. Can you explain just what was that like going from, I'm just trying to get a degree to now I I need to get a job and and now you're a working professional in, in a really large global company? I was very privileged to get this role. And to be honest, at the time I had no idea what consulting was, but I was again, privileged to have a couple of great, amazing mentors at USC who really nudged me to apply and show me the ropes. And, you know, we were just talking a bit earlier before this, how I graduated Haas at the worst time. And we'll talk about that. (laughs) I actually also graduated undergrad at the worst time. So I decided to graduate a year early, and this was in 2003. I am totally dating myself. But 2003 was Arthur Anderson, Enron, Debaco, Sarbanes, Mm. Oxley. And so there were also offers getting rescinded and companies were just not hiring. And I somehow got this position at Deloitte. I think they only took one person from the business school. And interestingly, the only position they were interviewing for was in the technology field and technology integration. But I think because I've 
always kind of had an entrepreneurial background. I was doing some things on my own, my other internships that they realized that I'm actually a better fit for human capital consulting. And so that's how I got into this field. And to answer your question, it was amazing working in a global company. And I do have to say, I got some previews of that because, so I represented USC at a global international case competition at Copenhagen. And this was schools from all over the world, right? Solving tough business problems and coming together. And that was when I knew wow, this is, you know, I I want to be more globally minded and working collaboratively with people from all walks of life. And that was something that really Deloitte offered that I'm truly grateful for. That's amazing, Jenny. And I think even for some folks who graduate from the MBA program, being able to either work in, you know, technology space, either in human capital or even at a large firm like Deloitte, that would be a pipe dream. You know, that that would be the end goal. But for you, you got that straight out of college and then you decided to come to Haas. What made you want to pursue business school or something else when you already accomplished a ton, you know, in a short period of time, just coming to the States and then going to college, graduating, working at Deloitte? You kind of already had it all. Why give that up and decide to go to business school? The consulting pipeline is very typical in that you're coming in for a few years and sort of in order to accelerate to the next position or the typical pathway is very much getting a graduate degree and typically an MBA. And so I I wouldn't say I was being innovative and being courageously different. (laughs) Um, It was sort of the next thing to do, I have to say. But with that said, I ended up leaving Deloitte shortly before applying to school. And the story behind that is, on the one hand, I really, really love the work. And Chris, as you mentioned, right, one project is really equivalent to a year's worth of work and industry in some sense, right? It was fast paced, fast speed. But for me, I was on a great project, but things were becoming very implementation oriented than creating new strategies and doing new things. So I became a little bit, to be honest, bored. I I began to look elsewhere and I was thinking, well, what's next for me? And again, the typical pathway is to get an MBA. And so that's how I ended up. And I actually applied to B-School very shortly after I left. And I didn't have much of a runway. And so I applied to Haas because I had some colleagues who went to Haas and they are just amazing, collaborative, humble individuals. I just really fell in love with the Haas culture. And, you know, I'm so glad I had, again, the privilege to go to Haas. You uh, not only came to Haas, but you stayed very busy. (laughs) You were a GSI for multiple courses you were a career coach, and it would be great to talk about that career coach program. And then you were also the president of Women in Leadership. How did you balance doing everything that you were doing and then also go to class and, and manage all the, all the different aspects of even just being a you know an MBA student at Haas? This is an advice, right, for people who are coming into the MBA program is you have to be crystal clear in terms of what you want to get out of it and what are your purposes? What are your passions? And for me, I've always loved people development. 
And so it was a no-brainer to become a GSI for leadership communications, which is the core first-year course when I became a second-year MBA. And then I also was the GSI for the gateway class for undergraduate, which is the principles of business. And I just, you know, I really enjoy nurturing and working with individuals, teams, and groups, and classes to help them fully express their potential individually and collaboratively. And women in leadership is something that's so near and dear to me. I was sold on it when I went on to the Well Retreat in Napa in my first year. And that was when I was like, wow, I really want to contribute to this amazing organization, to the amazing women in it, and take a leadership role. So it was a lot of juggling, right, to your point. And I, by no means, was straight A, right? But who cares, right? That's not quite the point (laughs) of Haas. And it's really getting the experiences, the network, the people, and of course, what you learn in the discussions in the classrooms. Yeah, you know, you kind of alluded to it. You decided to go to business school, probably unknowingly, maybe one of the most difficult times in modern history, which is the financial crisis. Would love to hear about your experience there. Yeah. So, you know, the weather lately, I don't know about you, Chris, where I am, it changes every two days and very (laughs) suddenly. So if I can just relate that to the atmosphere and sort of the climate of the MBA program in 2009, right? That was like one day, you know, it was sunny and the other day the clouds were rolling around and it was about to get (laughs) thunderstormy. So that was pretty much the change. People were so worried and professors were trying to figure out what the heck was happening. It was going on. I remember we were holding town halls, workshops to really understand what happened to the housing market, what might happen to jobs. It was very unfortunate because a lot of my colleagues who are going into the financial industry, they were being hit very in a very real way in terms of jobs getting rescinded and just even not quite knowing what's going to happen, being in limbo. And it was dark and uncertain times. And in terms of, for me, I think I interned at Cisco Systems the summer prior, and this was a job that it it wasn't, they didn't recruit out of Berkeley at the time. Happy to report, I believe they did after. And so it was sort of at that time, not just me, but many of my colleagues, right, whether it's the summer before or what was happening for the financial crisis, you had to get really creative. And you had to get really persistent and proactive in terms of knocking on the doors and trying to figure out what opportunities were available. So I felt, again, very lucky to have this job that was solid. It was a leadership rotational program. It was a three-year rotation within human resources. And I had my eyes set on really the first rotation, which is talent strategy and planning. And so there I was, graduated, and then shortly got married, and then started this leadership rotational program. Eventually, you you did end up leaving Cisco, you know, after going through that program. You know, can you explain what your thought was in that sense? I know you, know, you ended up kind of taking an entrepreneurial route, starting your own company, and then also helping to launch a Montessori, which, you know, for anyone who's a parent knows that that's an amazing task. Could you share a bit of 
what you were experiencing, what you were feeling in the moment. Sure. You know, I just have to say, I never saw all this come. Um, when I was at Cisco, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to finish this three-year leadership rotation. And I think I left when, I mean, when I was still squatting in my first rotation past the year. And what really caused me to pivot all this was having a child. And at the time, we were up in the Bay Area, my partner and I, and also lovely friends who just graduated climbing the career ladder, right? Doing what you're wanting to do. And, you know, as I mentioned, we got married and I got pregnant very shortly after, barely making the FMLA, you know, the leave. And it was because we were fairly young, one of the first to have a kid. I didn't quite know how I was going to balance it all. And to be honest, because of my own personal upbringing, I really wanted to be that parent who was present, who was there. And so a couple of moves I made was we ended up moving back down to Southern California to be closer to my partner's family. And I ended up doing a part-time, so converting my leadership rotational role to a part-time role with the support of just amazing, amazing bosses. And so I did that and virtually, but then I just realized it was, again, to be honest, still very hard to focus yeah. and to be engaged. And you know, for those of you who I'm sure many of us have sat through workshops of work-life balance or blended or harmony, whatever it might be called now, right? It is very, very hard. And I struggled. So I ended up leaving Cisco and just really to focus, I gave myself a little bit of time to focus on my then only child and ended up actually launching an Etsy business and it did quite well. But then somehow, again, by surprise, we ended up having twins. Oh my goodness. And very shortly, so this was, Chris, if you can imagine, three under three all in diapers, <laughs> all in diapers. And, you know, when I did the Haas X talk at our alumni conference, you might have heard this. I said, there were a lot of kicking and screaming. And those were from me. <laughs> they were from me. I was like, oh my gosh, I was in people development, developing leaders, creating, you know, composed, poised, graceful leaders who knew how to deal with crises. And, and yet here I was not knowing what to do. And so that was a real humbling turning point. So yeah, so then, as you mentioned, right, I ended up deciding to work to help launch this Montessori brick and mortar school when it was time for my twins, 18 months at the time, to go to a preschool. So it was it was interesting that my first day of work that first week, right, shortly after were my kids' first days of school. Oh wow. Which in itself I, I have so much to say about that. But it was really through that experience, I learned so much about the pedagogical sort of approach to Montessori, to child development, interacting now with parents as my audience and teachers that inspire me to learn more about the science behind child development. So with the supportive partner, we decided that we wanted to explore other parts of the nation. So we packed up and went to Harvard for the master's program in education. And so did that. And, you know, I can talk more if you like, but then which inspired me to get a PhD. And then when we came back home to Southern California. 
what inspired you to to want to go to the ed school at Harvard? And you know, you already had in some respect, you know, you already had a really good credentials. You had gone to a really strong undergraduate business school and also a really strong MBA program. Why pick up everything and move literally across the country, almost halfway across the world to do a, a master's degree when you already had so much going for you? Yeah. You know, I am always the lifelong learner and the adventurer. And just side note, Chris, it was in Boston that I learned bomb cyclone, snow days. These were not part of my vocabulary <laughs> by any means. So I got schooled in other ways. But to answer your question, I just became really fascinated with mm. the research and truly the science, the neural developmental, sort of child development of explaining why we are who we are and why our kids behave the way they do. And I didn't entirely get those when I was at the Montessori school, which kind of really opened up my appetite to learn more. And also, my partner and I, we really strive to be good role models. And we strive to learn new things. And so it was sort of on a, not quite a whim, but just a thought. I said, you know what? I'm just going to apply again to two places, Harvard, because we've never been to the East Coast from an extensive living perspective. That would be so cool. And the ed school, I've met some people there and spoken to them. They are incredibly passionate knowledgeable people. I want to tap into that energy, the latest research, right? So that was one. And then being the role model, let's experience a different part of the nation, right? Coming, we're in Orange County, so go outside of this orange curtain and really allow our kids this opportunity to experience. And so those were really, honestly, our reasons. And shout out to my husband, he kind of just said, you know, we're going to make this work. And so we went there for the master's. Can you talk a little bit about your company? How did you come up with the idea? And then also, if that wasn't enough, you, you decided to go get a PhD. So can you explain maybe what was the thought process there? Not only just running a company and, and kind of incubating a company, but then also deciding to go get a PhD at UC Irvine. Yeah, I think how I approach in terms of how I organize my life, right? So we talked about work-life, right? And in this case, I really did the personal professional blendedness, the work-life blendedness. And that because I was a mom of three, I had kids, I wanted to honestly be a better parent, be a good parent, a knowledgeable one, right, personally. And whatever I learned and did professionally directly answered to my need personally. So that's how I was able to seamlessly switch and juggle it all. And in terms of the how the origin of my idea, and this is an advice to those who are going into an MBA program or in a program, my advice is do not underestimate the projects that you're going to be going into, whether it's a class, it's a club, it's an organization, even with a company, because that was the inception of my first product. It was in this class at Harvard called Building a Democratic School. It was a workshop. Mm. And I didn't want to quite create a school, but I wanted, again, a democratic way of sharing knowledge accessibly, right, actionably. And so I 
that was when I created, started prototyping card games as a way of helping children and adults to learn together anytime, anywhere on the go within like weaving into everyone's busy lives. So do not underestimate your class projects. I, in fact, I'm actually speaking in that class later this year about, <laughs> about my experience. Wow. But it was there that just being able to translate research into actionable, practical solutions is something I knew that I sort of was pretty good at and really enjoyed doing. I enjoy applying, making things applicable, but with the research-based knowledge. And so that is why I decided to go into a PhD program because, again, I felt like, you know, sometimes the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And I wanted to really become an expert, in this case, in emotional intelligence, helping kids and even adults develop social and emotionally, or what we call soft skills, right, in the real world. And so I decided to pursue the PhD. And concurrently, I was in the innovation lab at UC Irvine, which is also an amazing space. And so I was able to juggle whatever I was learning and readily applying that into the products and my business that I was developing. That's amazing. You've created these um, essentially like play decks, I guess, or like deck of cards, essentially, to help kids and adults. Can you talk a little bit about that and what your new product is coming out of your company? Yeah, sure. Thank you. And this will be my eighth product launch. Oh, my gosh. So just to give you some background, these are ordinary, cleverly simple playing poker cards. But they are Mm -hmm. coded in such a way that each of the suits represent a focus area or a skill competency. And then the numbers represent level of difficulties. And it's also by topic. And there's different layers to that as well. And so I've done cards related to how to have authentic conversations, emotional intelligence, better relationship skills, also a deck on coping skills, right? Dealing with workplace burnout and just personally, professionally, stress management, anxiety relief, as well as critical thinking skills deck around uncovering our own cognitive biases, right? Stuff like our unconscious bias. So things around that. So my eighth deck is around life skills. And this is about building, honestly, equitable domestic household chores, workload, spreading that equitably across households, whether you have kids or not, right? But also building practical skills around how to be independent, how to be a decent human being, right? How to apologize, how to communicate, how to be a good host, right? And how to deal with emergency in this case, very practical emergency home maintenance issues. And so this is one of probably the most practical deck out of my other ones. And it really stemmed, to be honest, from my TEDx talk, I want to say three or four years ago, about this whole topic of work life. How do you blend the two and juggle the two? And it was as a mother, you know, it was my reflection of how to be self ish without feeling selfish, right? And this honestly applies to mom and dads and everybody really, because we do so much, but yet we have this sense of guilt of maybe we're not doing enough for the loved ones in our lives. 
Yeah, Jenny, I'm I'm super excited. You know, for folks who are interested, I you know I've I just got introduced to it, Jenny. So you may see <laughs> another customer yeah. coming in soon. But it looks like you know you have an online presence, mindbrainemotion.com, as well as I think I saw on a couple of different platforms, maybe even like Amazon, you have your products available there. So yep. definitely would encourage folks looking at it. It looks really fun, and um, I'll be looking forward to the to the new deck as we're kind of coming to a the end of the podcast, Jenny, you know, we typically have a conversation, you know, advice you'd give to your your younger self or what's one thing that you learned or words of wisdom. But, you know, one of the things we were talking about before we started recording is we wanted to talk about next steps or what what's next for you. Yeah. So great question. And I have to say, this is word of advice and sort of honestly, just my humbling observation is one of the biggest barrier I see in, say, the undergraduate and graduate students I teach currently at the university level, as well as just coaching and working with others, and also in myself, is this need to feel prepared and somehow never feeling quite prepared enough and needing to be doing other things in order to pursue what ultimately we are interested in, right? So, needing to feel a bit perfect or ready and prepare for that. Mm. And how I've sort of overcome that, and I think that also is related to the imposter syndrome. Why should I do this? Who am I to do this? Mm. What would people say? Mm. And would I fail, right? Those little negative voices in our head. And honestly, it's just to do it. Just start. We can start baby steps. You don't have to get it all right. But even one little habit, you implement one little hour you spend will make a difference when you accumulate it across days and months. And so I think in order to live your next thing or the thing that you've been putting off and sort of on your wish list, right, is it's to not go into this all or nothing mentality. And perhaps, Chris, that's why I juggled so many things, um, <laughs> is just get your feet wet. Just try a little bit, right? And one of the trends I see, again, with the students I work with is even undergraduates, amazing, accomplished, just good people with great ideas. And these students are like, oh, but I got to apply to grad school. I'm doing this undergrad so that I can apply to grad school. And then after the grad school, then I can like maybe get a job and then I can maybe think about what I really want to do, right? It's always this if only, if only staircase wish list, right? And so my advice is we don't have to be perfect. No one is perfect. It's an iterative process. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the journey, not so much the outcome and have fun with it. And, you know, I think to be honest, because I love what I do, I'm having so much fun that when you ask me, Chris, what's my next thing? I'm like, well, I'm already living my next thing. <laughs> so yeah. Well, Jenny, I've been so excited to have you on the podcast today. Your story is really an inspiration, you know, from balancing work life, school, pursuing a PhD to running your own business. I've just been truly inspired by our conversation today. And uh, I just want to say thank you again for joining us on the podcast. And we wish you all the best in all your endeavors in the future. Thank you so much, Chris. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. 
We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There, you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. <laughs>